Today's theme is Mr. and Little Miss Stubborn. Mr. and Mrs. Stubborn is what we're going to look at. Stubbornness, the dictionary defines stubbornness as having or showing dogged determination not to change one's attitude or position on something, especially in spite of good reasons to do so. But it also means difficult to move, remove or cure, indelible, permanent, lingering, persistent, tenacious, resistant. One of the best stories about stubbornness, many of you will have heard this before, is a story about a ship and it's a battleship and it's at night and in front of it, it sees another light and it realizes that it's on a collision course. So the captain says to the radio operator, radio ahead to them and tell them to move. So the radio guy contacts them and says, we're a ship, we're on collision course with you, move 20 degrees west. Little pause and a message comes back. We are on a collision course. You move 20 degrees east. Captain says, really annoying that is. He says, tell them, tell them, hey, listen, listen, this is a battleship, okay? And we're telling you, move 20 degrees west. Message comes back, okay, we're, we're telling you, move 20 degrees east. He says, no, I'm, I'm telling you, again, I'm the captain of a battleship. You move. Message comes back, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> it's your call. All right, that's the classic story on stubbornness about how when you're so stubborn, if you don't change or you don't move, you're in for a collision. And what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to talk about Mr. and Mrs. Stubborn. And we thought, who better to be Mr. and Mrs. Stubborn than me and my wife? So you are going to hear from me and Alison this morning on the whole theme of stubbornness. Now let me just say a few caveats, okay? Yes, we are going to talk about marriage, and yes, we are going to talk about our marriage, but no, this is not just about marriage, okay? So if you're not married, okay, and you immediately say, oh, it's nothing to do with me, this is about relationships in general and what stubbornness has to do. But we're going to use our marriage as, if you like, uh, an illustration of the downside and the upside of stubbornness. Um, We can in 30 minutes cover everything or everybody's situation, okay? So please, please give us some grace this morning. Don't be stubborn, okay? Just give us some grace. We really believe that today God has something for you if you'll open up for us. You know, these two characters, this is Mr. Stubborn here and this is Mrs. Stubborn. And that position with their arms folded, okay? That's all right, physically. But that's like, that's what happens so often in our lives. We fold our arms And we say, we're not going to move, we're not going to receive, we are stubborn, we are fixed. But I want to say to you this morning, if we can open up our arms, our ears, our eyes and our hearts, God has something for you today. Well, this is going to be a little bit different this morning, if you've been here before. Two of us speaking and sat on stools. And many of you know me really well, I've been at the church 23 years uh, this October, been the senior pastor there for 15 years, but you might not know Alison so much, especially some of you newer folks, yet you don't see her up on stage often. Um, so we thought that we would introduce ourselves a little bit to you, and so I'm going to introduce Alison. This is Alison. Uh, she's bright. In fact, when she did the Mr. Men and Little Miss test on Facebook, she comes out as Little Miss Clever. So there you go. She's loyal, supportive, long-suffering, which she needs to be, being married to me. Very strong-willed, but compassionate as well. She is an amazing wife and mom. She's had three careers. She trained as a nurse when when she was 18. Then she retrained as a counsellor for 18 years. And then now she's a university lecturer, lectures at nursing uh, at BCU in Birmingham. And uh, so this is 
Alison, in terms of the church, she's an elder, which doesn't mean that she's old, okay? That means that that's what we call um, the leadership team of the church. They're called elders from the Bible. So Alison is one of the elders. And she has a real heart for the poor. And so she's been on many, many uh, of our Africa trips and recently has just come back from Guatemala. And you'll hear about that in a few months. Time. So everyone, this is Alison. <laughs> Okay, so it's my job now to introduce Leon. And I thought I'd tell you some things that you might not know oh, about Leon Steady, today. steady. I've got the mic now, you see. Power. <laughs> okay. So this is Leon. He's kind and compassionate. Yeah. He's emotionally sensitive. <laughs> Unusual in a man, but great. I value it. And he's a really great listener. He's a gifted leader with a great sense of humour, and he enjoys laughing and creates loads of fun wherever he is. I'll perhaps just say in a slightly quieter voice, his Facebook status had him as Mr. Impossible, <laughs> which perhaps will emerge more as we talk together. But he's passionate, he's committed to God, his family, and most of all, creating opportunities for people to get to know and to become more like Jesus. So we met, um, we were both brought up in the Salvation Army, uh, me at Cradley Heath and Alison in Birmingham, and we met when we were teenagers, and uh, the Sally Army used to have a Salvation Army, be respectful, used to have a, 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 an annual event, like a summer camp, like New Wine and Soul Survivor, that kind of thing, only smaller. And, and I remember back to those days, because actually I think the purpose was where young people could come and meet God and grow in their spiritual lives. For me, it was an opportunity for dating. <laughs> and so we met when I was 16. Well, actually, we started going out when I was 16 and Alison was 15. So it's a long, long time ago. And we were both really strong-willed. Still are, but we've learned to manage it a bit letter, better as we've got older. We argued a lot. I mean a lot. And we <laughs> caused huge dismay to our parents. who used to think, how are these two ever going to survive each other's company, let alone <laughs> get on? And there are some great examples which... Uh, about us falling out, which I won't bore you with all of the details of today, but there was a notable occasion with a bowl of rice pudding, wasn't there, Leon? There was. That went up the wall. It did. And there was also, I think, a moment where there was a large bag of frozen peas. Which that, you threw. Yeah. Let's just, let's just be honest here. Which wasn't you threw. wasn't one of my better ideas, because I was picking <laughs> peas out of all kinds of places in the kitchen for a very long time afterwards. <laughs> but we, we were fiery. Uh, yeah. And there's even a story of stubbornness about the way in which we came to get married yeah so we were we were going out for six and a half years and um Alison was a little impatient to see like what's going on here are we do you know what I mean etc and I was I was very stubborn about the idea of marriage at that time in my early 20s I was very passionate about God I was passionate about Alison too uh, about God and about music I was in a band at the time with Lee and Martin the guys that are still were still playing music together here so, so and, and I was really passionate about that and then what happened is in my early 20s um somebody came to me and said we would like to offer you an opportunity to, to move to South Africa to, to work in a Christian organisation. And I thought, what an amazing opportunity in my early 20s. And, and I remember going to my dad and saying to my dad, to telling my dad about this, saying, look, this is a massive decision. We're not, we weren't engaged. Alison was, was a nurse. I was working for a Christian organisation, was earning very, very little. She was earning much more than I was. And so, so, but my dad said, he's all, he'd always wanted to go to South Africa himself. He said this phrase, it's a golden opportunity. And that was ro rolling around my head. And so we, we talked about this and how is this going to work out. And we prayed about it. And interestingly enough, we prayed that God would speak to a certain individual by a certain time. 
into this situation, which I don't recommend that you do, okay, as a way of, of understanding guidance. But on the Friday of the weekend that we'd set as the deadline, this guy came to my office and he said, I've been praying for you and Alison, and God has said this to, to, to me to say to you, all that glitters is not gold. And I got that phrase in my head, this is a golden opportunity. And it was like, God has said, all that glitters is not gold. And then he said this, and your future, it lies together. And Leon, you need to get off your backside and you need to commit to this woman. Six months later, we got married. And Alison still jokes that we only got married because God told me to. But that isn't the truth. That isn't the truth, okay? That isn't the truth, okay? But God did give me a very hefty nudge along the way. So that's how we got married. But what we want to do first is talk about maybe the negative aspects of stubbornness, okay? And then we're going to look at the positive. See, the word stubborn appears in the Bible 28 times and the term stiff-necked around 19 times. The root word in the Bible for stubborn, stubborn means fixed, firm, stiff, inflexible. And there's a great verse in the Old Testament, a book called Jeremiah. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this, but they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forwards. We've never, I've never looked at stubbornness in the Bible until this talk. It's fascinating. These guys went backwards, not forwards. How many marriages and relationships go backwards, not forwards, and stubbornness is often at the heart of it. See, at the heart, stubbornness is a refusal to back down. Anyone ever played those games, uh, those wrestling games, Submit? You ever that when you were kids, you know, and you, you hold someone down and they have to submit. And if you're competitive, you just refuse to back down. But sometimes at the heart of a refusal to back down is pride. And God has some really strong things to say about pride. So I want to look at the word that occurs in the Bible a lot, and it's the word Submit. And if you're a Christian or been around churches, you'll know that this word is a controversial word, especially in the context of marriages. You see, the Bible does talk about women, wives, submitting to their husbands. And interestingly enough, last weekend, I was in Bulgaria and speaking at a youth event. And there were hundreds of young people there. And when I say young people, they're teens up to 30s and early, even early 40s. Um, and on the last day they had a question and answer session where me and some other Bulgarian pastors were all sat on seats like we are now. And, and the young guys, they just asked whatever question they wanted to ask. And one question that was read out was this. The question was this. How do we as men get our wives to submit to us? What a great question. It wasn't. And, and all of the pastors, we all put our heads down like that. And, and the guy was saying, who wants to answer this question? And we're all going, not me, mate. Not me, mate. But you know, I thought, that question is very revealing about something that's going on in terms of the questioner. Because if our, if our whole goal is how do I get someone else to submit to me, we've completely missed the point. You see, often Christian men historically have loved the idea that it says in the Bible wives should submit to their husbands. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says this, The wife does not have authority over her body, but yields it to her husband. To which we say, Amen, Lord. To which I say, more Lord. <laughs> but the Bible also continues to say, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. And again I say, amen Lord and more Lord. But you see, wherever the word or the idea or the theme of submission comes in the Bible, it is always in the context of mutual submission. So in Ephesians 5, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the context. Then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But then it says, and husbands, submit to your wives. 
And you should love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wow. So whenever the conversation about submission and about yielding turns to who is the boss, you've missed it. Whenever the conversation turns to who is in charge, you've missed it. Submission in the Bible is never about domination or control or who's in charge or who's the boss. It's rather choosing to submit to relevant authorities in your life appropriately. The original word for submission is a, is a Greek word called hupotasso, which is a military term. And it's the locking together of shields so that as a unit you can move forward together. So wives submit to husbands in an appropriate way. Husbands submit to wives in an appropriate way. That means, guys, loving your wife as Christ loves the church. That means he laid down his life for the church. That's incredible. Something I heard years ago as a young man at a men's event, I heard this guy say this, if you want to know how you're doing as a husband, ask someone to look into the eyes of your wife. What do you see when you look in the eyes of your wife? That's your responsibility as a husband to make sure that that's bright and that's alive and that's secure and that's loved. That's your responsibility because husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And I want to say submission is not a female issue and it's not a male issue. It's a human issue. It's an issue for every single one of us. That's true, isn't it? We can all be really stubborn. Um, so how do we become stubborn and what causes us to remain stubborn? Um, very often the underlying emotion behind it all is fear. Fear of change, fear of responsibility, a sense of vulnerability. And characters who are stubborn are often seen as rigid and inflexible. But what appears to be going on on the outside is not always the same as what's going on inside for them. A psychologist defines stubborn personalities as oversensitive to the possibility of being overwhelmed by sudden or unwanted change. Basically, they see threats everywhere, in everything. And anything new or different that involves some kind of change, at least subconsciously, is perceived as a direct threat. So even if it's in our best interest to change, stubbornness kicks in and we choose not to. And like all character flaws, stubbornness usually involves some unresolved issues from the past. And there are four key factors, the first of which is our early negative experiences. Perhaps we've been parented by a particularly stubborn parent. Maybe they were anxious as well, but nonetheless we've learned to be stubborn through that experience. Or maybe a chaotic parenting style, which leads to the need to create a fixed response and uh, to remain safe, to just always respond in the same way. There are some misconceptions about the nature of self, life or others that can also lead us to become stubborn. For example, some people are raised to believe that doubt is sinful and that life is structured and reliable. It's really not true, is it? Life's nothing but unstructured and unreliable very often. While others are told that strength is demonstrated by holding firm to our opinions and that changing our minds is a sign of weakness. Of course, there's some truth in this. But an inability to change our minds, even when it's clear we are wrong, yeah. is not the same as holding firm to our core beliefs. Yeah, it's just holding on to something that we're too scared to change. Yeah. There's a difference yeah. in those two things. The other thing that happens in stubborn people is they, they have to live with a constant fear and a sense of insecurity, which can make them quite difficult to be around sometimes. And of course, this can result from the negative experiences that we talked about earlier. But also, 
Um, you know, it could be just a natural character flaw that we've got ourselves that we haven't yet worked on, and maybe it's time that we did. But either way, God doesn't want us to live in a sense of fear or insecurity. He came to give us life, and life in all its fullness, not a life limited by fear of change. The fourth thing that can happen is that we develop a coping strategy to protect ourselves. Stubbornness is a great coping strategy. We have to manage our fears and anxieties somehow. And if I were to ask you how you manage your fear and anxiety, some of you might say, oh, I pray. I pray a lot. That's great if you do. It's a fabulous way of managing fear and anxiety. But we're all human beings as well, aren't we? And usually we've got a whole mixture of ways in which we manage our emotions or difficult things. Um, is anyone like me? Does chocolate ice cream feature in there anywhere for you when you're feeling a bit stressed? We've got a whole load of coping strategies that we use, and stubbornness is one of them. If we refuse to see things another way and protect ourselves from the possibility that we might be wrong, then we can remain safe, protected from uncertainty in our own fixed view. And it doesn't matter if the neg outcomes are negative. I've got... Um, a terrible sense of direction. Those of you that know me really well will know that I'm absolutely rubbish at direction. Some of you are nodding and laughing, which is a bit disconcerting. Um, neither do I know left from right. Now, please don't come to me afterwards and tell me, oh, left is you do this with this hand and your ring's on that hand and all of those techniques that I've heard all before. Okay, They're not going to work for me. There's something wrong with my head. I don't know left from right. Just can't do it. And uh, when I first learned to drive, this was quite a problem, um, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> so when I passed my driving test, I, I decided I would stick to the same few routes to get to any destination. After a while, it appeared that wherever I'm travelling, Cradley Heath figures in that destination somewhere. So no matter where I was going, no matter how long it take, would take to get there, I went to Cradley Heath first. Because it was the only place I knew, because we went to church there, I'd learned to drive around there. It made sense to me. This used to drive Leon completely nuts. Absolutely <laughs> insane. Because it made journeys long and certainly unnecessarily complicated. Why did I go through Cradley Heath? Was it because it's a great place to visit? I don't know. There might be some of you that live in Cradley Heath, and I'm sure it is really lovely. But that wasn't why I went there. I went there because I was scared of getting lost, unable to own up to my terrible sense of direction, afraid of trying something new, and too stubborn to own up to the fact that I didn't know the way. It's human nature to try and protect ourselves, to try not to appear too vulnerable. And it takes us a while to figure out that nothing is lost when we admit we're wrong. In fact, a whole lot of good can result from it. But some of us find this more difficult than others. And that can lead us to become very, very stubborn adults. Yeah. So what are some of the negative aspects of stubbornness? What does that look like in a marriage or in relationships in general? And we want to be really honest with you this morning. As we prayed last night, our prayer is we don't want to come across smug and that we've got it all together because we really haven't. But we want to be really honest and open with you this morning. And so, so that meant... Um, being honest about things that we're stubborn about and a couple of kind of not so important things maybe that I'm stubborn about one of them is eating you see I love food and if I'm near a buffet I mean just that's just a disaster for me okay and Alison will always say you've had enough you don't need to go back up for another one or if we're at someone's house for a meal and I'm offered another I'll always say yes 
And I always, back that evening, I'll say to her, I shouldn't have had that other one. I shouldn't have gone about that. And she says to me, I told you. I told you, but I've been stubborn about it. Or sunbathing. I love the sun, but I burn really easily. And so Alison's always saying, you've got to put factor 100 on, okay, or you're going to burn. Oh, no, I won't. No, I won't. Get burnt. All that, isn't it true? Every, I'm stubborn about that. But actually, in our marriage, there's been some really important things that I have been stubborn about. And one of them, and, and this is, I have to admit this. Up until very recently, I've still held to this, okay? So let me just say, this is not all in the past, really. I have, up till recently, stubbornly believed that it is possible to listen to someone and do something else at the same time. So I've been trying to argue with Alison for nearly 30 years that, darling, of course I'm listening to you and watching Sky Sports News at the same time and doing something on my iPad. I can do that. I can do that. Do you know what? I was wrong. You cannot properly listen to someone and give them full attention and do anything else at the same time. I don't care how clever you think you are, it is impossible. I was wrong. Another thing is that I've always, I've used to feel that I have to win the argument before an apology can come. Again, I was wrong. And then the other thing, and this might be more of a man thing maybe, that if Alison talks about something and something that's going on at work or in her life, if I think I've got a solution... I just want to give her the solution and then the conversation is over. Why do we need to have any more conversation? Does any men out there understand, resonate with me, okay? Do you know what? I was wrong. Because actually in terms of relationship, what's more important to her is feeling heard and understood than me knowing the answer to her problem. I was wrong. So it's only fair I tell you a few things that I'm a bit yeah, stubborn about Absolutely. Now, you know can what? I just say, can I just say, when we came to prepare this, she did say, I can't think of anything that I've been stubborn about. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that out there. That's just, I just need to say that. He's living very dangerously today. <laughs> Things I can be stubborn about. Yeah. Okay. On, Being late isn't a problem on oh, social occasions. So <laughs> you don't have to be at a party at 7.30 if it starts at 7.30, do you? That's not late. And if you nag me, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to slow down. Absolutely. Okay? So if you nag me, it's all going the wrong way, so just don't do it. <laughs> Another thing I'm stubborn about, tidiness is important, isn't it? It is. There's not many of you agree yeah. with me there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But proper things that I've been really stubborn about, and I, I, I have learned from all of these things. The first thing is, is that, I always have firmly believed that romance is a complete waste of time. Um, I don't have a romantic bone in my body. Sorry, ladies, I know I'm letting the side down here. But I just, I just don't get it. I don't understand all that moonlight and gazing in your eyes. And I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. But Leon is a romantic. And one of the things I've had to learn is that because he's romantic and I want to... Uh, be in good relationship with him, then I need to learn what this means. And actually, one of the ways in which Leon's always been romantic is he's always insisted on date night all the way through our marriage. And there were nights where I thought, oh gosh, really? Can't I just stay in and do the ironing that's mounting <laughs> up? But he's insisted, no, we're having date night. And I have to say, I was completely wrong about that because we wouldn't have the marriage that we've got mm. now, now our kids have left home, if he hadn't have been really steadfast about mm. insisting on that through the, the last million years. <laughs> Another thing that um, I've been wrong about is I often thought that I have to be truly sorry before I say sorry. Okay, I'm, I'm a person of integrity and I think that, you know, I'm not going to lie. If I'm not sorry, I'm not going to say it. 
But I've actually come to realise that the process of realising that you're wrong can be quite a lengthy one. And sometimes it's better just to say sorry for the offence that you've caused earlier rather than leaving it till later. I was really wrong about that because actually sorry can take a whole load of heat out of a difficult situation. The third thing is that I don't think I have to do anything that I can't find a good reason for. Um, I don't know whether any of you are like that, but I think give me a good reason for it. That's fine, I'll do it. But if it's just because you want me to and I don't think there's any reason for it, then I'm not going to do it. Again, I was really wrong about that because there are some things that I never understand the reason for, but there's still good things to do. And it's really, really important um, that we kind of acknowledge these things in our relationships. Yeah. I think, I hope you hear this, there's something here that I think we're discovering now after a long time being married, that there are three words that are so important to transform a marriage or any relationship. And the three most important words are not, I love you. The three most important words are, I was wrong. I was wrong are the three most important words to transform a marriage and a relationship. In fact, why don't we try it together this morning? At the first service, some people couldn't even do it. All right? They were, it was like blood was coming out of their ears and noses. Okay? Let's try it out loud together. I was wrong. Let's say it out. Here we go. Turn to the person next to you and say, I was wrong. And if you're married, let's just try that out. (laughs) Okay, it seems to me you're saying a whole lot more than I was wrong just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's hope we've not started anything off. Okay, so is there a positive side to stubbornness? We've talked about the negative aspects of it, but is there a positive side to stubbornness? Well, if we look back at that definition that we used at the the beginning of, of the talk, the second part of that definition said, a dogged determination, difficult to remove, Mm. indelible, permanent. Well, some of those sound like really good things to me, don't they? Not just negative things. And I've got a quote which I love um, about stubbornness, which I'll read to you. It says, there is a stubbornness about me that never can bear to be frightened at the will of others. My courage always rises at every attempt to intimidate me. That's a great quote, I think. comes from Pride and Prejudice, uh, written by Jane Austen. And it's about a female character. And I think it's a, a great thing to say, actually, there's something about gritty determination, uh, a determination to make things happen that can be a real positive thing. So there are some things that we are really stubborn about in our marriage in a helpful way and about our relationships in general. The first of these is that we refuse to bury issues between us. Okay? Don't bury things. If you don't talk it out, you're going to act it out. It will come out somewhere. You can't ignore stuff and hope it goes away. And that means not only talking about the events or the things that have happened, but it also means talking about the emotions that are associated with that, how it felt, the impact on each other, the impact on the family. And that means you have to be willing to listen openly and not defensively. And contrary to gender stereotypes, I actually find this harder than Leon does. He's a great talker. I find it much more difficult. So let's not get into any of those fixed kind of gender identities where we say men are this and women are the other because we're all different and we have to work out how these dynamics operate in our relationships. 
great. The second thing we are really stubborn about is that we are stubborn because we refuse to believe that our best days are behind us. And um, I, I want to say this, um, you know, like openly and honestly, we would say that we're more in love now than we were 30 years ago. And we believe our best days are ahead. It hasn't always been like that. So we have had struggles along the way. We've doubted whether we would ever make it. We've questioned whether we've ever made it. There was a season of our marriage where we needed help. And, and we were leaders at the time. And we needed external help, someone else to come in to help us in our marriage. But we are stubborn about believing that the best is ahead of us. And one of the things I think that, that, that we, we've learned or are learning is that that means that you've got to invest in your marriage when the kids are at home, not just wait till they've left. If, you do, if you've got younger kids, if you don't invest in your marriage while they're at home, I've met so many married couples, okay, now, that when their kids have left home, they look at each other and think, who are you? And actually, the best gift you can give your kids is your marriage. It really is. So I would really encourage you, believe that the best is yet to come and invest in your marriage now. Don't wait till some other time in the future when you think, oh, then we'll have more time, we can invest in each other. You've got to invest now if you want to have a marriage that, that, goes, that grows and gets better as time goes on. The third thing is that we refuse to act like we've arrived, either individually or as a couple. We're not complete, we're not fixed, we're not at the mm. end of the journey. And um, one of the things that, that we're really clear about is that we don't focus on trying to change each other. We try and focus on how we can help each other to develop in our relationship with God so that he can change us as individuals. When I start to try and focus on fixing Leon, don't do I'm it. in trouble. Don't do I've it. been trying for years, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. Because actually that's not God's design. God's yeah. design is that I work on me. And if Leon works on him, then yeah. actually we can grow and develop in yeah. our marriage forever. Yeah. The fourth thing that we're really stubborn about is we choose to see the best in each other. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't see the worst or that we deny the worst. Uh, there are some things that still, after all these years, really annoy us about each other. He rubs his feet together. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> See, I've got the mic. Told you the power had come back. <laughs> Kicks his shoes off in front of the telly and rubs his feet together. It's like... Perfectly normal. Oh, it's just horrible. It's like this scratchy, horrible thing. But can I just say, <laughs> Alison's mentioned about the late thing. That drives me potty and it still does annoy me. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at the bottom of the stairs saying, we're going to be late, we're going to be late, we're going to be late. And she just digs her heels in. And interestingly enough, a few months ago, I found this quote from an American preacher that I listened to. And he said, it's a sin to be late. And I said, come on, that's talking my language. So I tried that one on her. That went well. <laughs> but here's the thing. Just because there are things that annoy you about the other person, not just in marriage, but in any relationship, if you choose to see the best... What it does is it gives you a different filter. So you see what annoys you, know, you about that person through a different filter. The filter is not that they're out to hurt you, that they're out to annoy you, that they're out to do you harm because you know that person loves you. So when they're doing something that's annoying you, so when she's being late and digging her heels, and she's not doing that to deliberately annoy me, you know, because we choose to see each other through a different filter. And when he does something annoying, he's not thinking about annoying me. In fact, he's not thinking at all. Absolutely. There's nothing going on. It's just Absolutely. happening. Totally. <laughs> There's a great verse in the Bible for moments like these, and it's found in Proverbs 29, uh, verse 11, and it says, Fools vent their anger, mm. but the wise... 
quietly hold it back. Yeah, that's so true. The fifth thing that we're stubborn about, and these, there's, there's six of them, okay? So th- th- these two are really, well, they're all important. We choose to want the best for each other. And I think that's such an important thing in a marriage and it's such an important thing in other relationships as well. That includes, I want her growth and development. I really want her to grow and develop as a person. And there's a verse in the Bible, which, which I've never seen quite like this before. It's Galatians 6 verse 2. It's going to come up. And Paul says it's carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now the context is not marriage there, but actually I think you could, you could put it out into all relationships. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You see, I can either carry her burdens or I can add to them. But the Bible says carry them and then you fulfill the law of Christ. You see, once you get into any kind of relationship where you're the one expecting the person to carry your burdens, then there's one giver and one receiver. But if you're in a situation where you both commit to want to carry the other burdens, not add to them, both of you are giving and both of you are receiving. And and let me tell you how that works out. That works out just last week. Okay, because I was away in Bulgaria last week, and many of you know that I've been traveling quite a lot over the last few months, and I am. And so in uh, June, I was in, uh, out in Southeast Asia for two weeks, and then I got back, and then after about a week or so, Alison went to Guatemala. She got back on the Monday, and I went to Bulgaria on the Wednesday, got back on Wednesday, and I'm off again in two weeks. And a couple of months ago, I, said, I looked at the schedule, and I said to Alison, Alison, I think this is too much. So I think I need to pull out of Bulgaria. I think it's just too much. It's too much pressure on us, etc., etc. And she thought about it for a bit. And then she came back and she said this, you're going to Bulgaria. Now at the time I thought, you really want to get rid of me, don't you? (laughs) But actually, actually, she knows how important Bulgaria is to me. Because this summer is 25 years to the day that I first went to Bulgaria. And I've been back every year apart from last year. So she knew that because I'd missed last year... Me going was really important to me. It really adds value to me and it really encourages and enriches me and I have some incredible friendships and relationships there. So she didn't want to add to my burdens by saying, hey, you've been away so much. She wanted to carry them, which is amazing. And I did promise her that I wouldn't embarrass her, okay, by being too slushy or anything. But I want you to know this because this is really honest and truthful. If you've ever been encouraged or inspired or helped by anything I've ever done, I want you to know that most of that is because of her. Because often, you know, you don't ever see the other partner, you know, when you see people on stages and stuff. In fact, when we used to go places together uh, doing ministry, they'd always say, oh, you're the pastor's wife. Do you sing? You know, that was always the classic thing, really. But because she doesn't, and she doesn't really go on the stage very much, people don't see that. But I want you to know that if I've ever been able to do anything which has encouraged or helped you, it's only really because of the support and love and encouragement that I've had from Alison. And that's one of the ways. Yeah, that's great. And, and, that's, and that's because we're stubborn about wanting the best for each other. We want to carry each other's burdens. We don't want to add to them. Oh, my gosh. That was the non-slushy <laughs> version. <laughs> I was going to play your song as well at the same time, but I didn't want to do that. Too much. <laughs> but, but Leon also carries my burdens. You know, and there's loads of stuff that he does for me that you wouldn't know. So, for instance, I returned to work full-time after Simeon left home. And I often work quite long hours late into the evening. So Leon has taken over cooking the evening meal. It's actually a very good cook. Pizza Um, every night. (laughs) No, it's not. But it has led to some very entertaining conversations, a type of which many women will probably be familiar with. They start something like, where are you? And then, any idea what time you'll be home? 
And then they culminate in the best moment ever when I answered the phone to Leon, who was actually irate at the other end of the phone and uttered the immortal words, your dinner's ruined. I actually went on to say, it's not a hotel, you know. Don't just turn it when you feel like it. Not one of my better moments. But more seriously, Leon always tells me I can, even when I think I can't. Whether it's studying, whether it's a new occupation, whether it's traveling, he always tells me I can. And he sees me as so much better than I believe I am. And I couldn't do any of the stuff that I do without him. And the final thing we want to say uh, that we're stubborn about is we're stubborn because we choose to make God the center and the primary relationship in our relationship. And there's a great example in the Bible of that. And it's two characters that you might not have heard much about. They're called Priscilla and Aquila. In fact, they're only mentioned seven times in the Bible. They're always mentioned together. And all we know about them is they love God, they loved each other, and they loved the church. There's a great verse, couple of verses in Romans 16, verse 3 to 4. It says this, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And I think that kind of sums up what our lives are about. Like, we love God, we love each other and our family, but we love the church. We love this church, you guys, and we love the church all around the world as well. Uh, and I think by making God the primary relationship in your relationship, that's absolutely important. But I want to just say a word here, a little caveat, a little aside. Those of you who are married to people who are not yet Christians, and I, we can't cover this adequately in 30 minutes, okay? We want you to know this. We pray for you. We pray for you, and the elders of this church pray for you. We also are aware how difficult that is for you at times when you're married to someone who's not yet a Christian, How the tension that there is. We also want you to know God knows it too and God sees your heart. And don't ever think that God can't intervene and do something in your life and your situation because he can. And we pray for that. And I know you pray for that more than we ever could. So, so, so don't think, oh, well, that's all right for you. Because God knows that and God can do something. In fact, there are people here in this room who were a Christian, who were married to someone who's not a Christian, but God did something and now they're sat next to a Christian husband or a Christian wife. God can do that because he's an amazing God. But when you make God, that relationship, your primary relationship, then it gives you a foundation. It gives you a cornerstone in your life, which is so, so important. But what does it mean in reality? So there's a few things that that we commit to do. And the first is that we pray together. Um, It's not always been the easiest of experiences. Um, But we're really committed to it. When we were first married, Leon had this idea that we would pray and worship together. So we used to sing. Yeah. So my job was to sing the harmony as Leon sang the tune. I can't sing. So let it be said, I certainly can't sing the harmony. That resulted in some very unhelpful prayer times where Leon used to stop me and correct (laughs) the tune. Can I I just say, we don't sing together now, all right? We prophetically dance together now. No, we don't. We don't. That's a joke. That's a joke. All right, we don't. Okay. But yeah, so pr- praying together is important and we don't pray together every day. We, we know some couples do. We don't. But making prayer a priority is important. And in fact, 
even in the run-up to this, we had a few words <laughs> in, in the preparation of this talk, you know, and we stopped and we looked at each other and we realized, hey, come on, you know, we've got to pray together here. Do you know what I mean? We're trying to share some important stuff and do you know what I mean? There's some tension here and, 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 and so we made that a priority and that's so important. But the other thing is, by making God the primary relationship in your relationship, it means that we try to make decisions with God at the center. I don't say we always do it, but we try to do it. And let me give you some examples. One of the examples is money. Right from when we first went out with each other, when we were, well, say when we were 18 and we were earning some money, we, we wanted to make money uh, a, a priority in terms of God, okay, and God's view of money. So for us, honoring God with our money has always meant giving to God first. So we've always, since we've earned, earned money, given God a tithe. So 10% of what we earn, we give to God through the local church. All the other money that we've had, and in the early days, it certainly wasn't a lot. It ain't much more now, but it wasn't a lot. We've always been really open and said, God, if you lead us, we'll give all other money away as you lead us. So Alison has always sponsored kids. You know, so from a first pay packet at 18, and we realized, didn't we, just a few weeks ago, um, that that's 30 years that she's been sponsoring children. So as well as our two kids, there's five or six other kids around the world that Alison sponsored financially. And then either of us say, if God moves on us and we want to give money to anyone or anything else, then we do that. And if it's above a certain amount, then we check with each other. But I can't think of a time when we've ever disagreed because we've always kind of said, hey, if that's what you feel, we're making God the center of our finances, then let's do that. And we would do that. I think secondly, when it comes to kids... Making God the center of your decision making is about how you choose to bring up your kids. And let me just say, for us, for us, okay, one of the things as men, we've always tried to ensure regular church attendance for our kids. Because you see, it will not guarantee that they will follow Jesus when they're older. We know that. But if you don't make regular church attendance a priority for your kids, the chances of them following Jesus when they're older are much less than if you do. They really are. That's a decision that we've made. I'd really encourage you to think about it. And I guess for us, the biggest decision that we've had to make ever when it comes to our kids is um, six years ago when Simeon, our youngest son, as many of you know, who's got complex special needs and disability, when he got to 15 and um, became unbearable to live with, really, if I can say that, and uh, we couldn't cope with living with him at home. And the decision to ask the social services to get involved and then the decision to ask them to take Simeon and for him to go into residential care was the hardest decision we've ever made. And uh, it was a decision as parents that felt wrong, but we knew it was right. And because we'd made God the center of our decision making, we gave that decision to God. And I remember when we were praying one time, both of us reminding each other that we dedicated Simeon to God, you know, 15 years before that. He's God's more before he's ours. He's not ours, he's God's. And then he's, he's ours as a steward. So we said, God, if this is the right decision for Simeon, then we trust him into your care, even though that was the toughest decision that we've ever made. So one of the things that's really helped us with that is to try and to put God's perspective above our own. And sometimes we've gone through some really hard times, like Leon's just mentioned, and we've often wondered about the things that God allows. But we've been married long enough and we've been alive even longer to be able to see things more from God's perspective these days. Nothing of value that he does in us yeah. in order to work through us comes quickly. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't come easily. Yeah. And God's purposes for each of us and as a couple are not yet fully revealed, nor will they be this side of heaven. Mm. We need to understand God's ultimate goal is to make us more like Jesus. Yeah. 
and there's nothing like the challenge of a relationship to help that process along. <laughs> okay, as we finish, just four quick applications, and I hope that this is going to cover all of you this morning. So if you're married, how many of you are married? Okay, quite a lot of you, and often we don't talk about marriage, partly because we try to be sensitive to all those who aren't, or for whom this is a very difficult subject. Sometimes I think we've gone too far with that, if I'm really honest. Uh, but, but if you are married this morning, be stubborn about the right things. Learn to say, I was wrong. Look to carry the other's burdens. I can't believe my phone is going off in my pocket. <laughs> look, look, look to, so say, I was wrong more often than not. Look to carry the other people's burdens, not add to them. If you are in trouble, get help. I can't say that enough. We got help when our marriage was in trouble. We were Christian leaders. If your marriage is in trouble, get help and put God at the center of your marriage. Second group, for those of you who've experienced marriage breakdowns, again, we can't cover this in a few minutes, but I want to say beauty is most stunning when it comes from brokenness. And just last week, I had the chance to connect again with some people that I've known for over 20 years in Bulgaria. And two of the guys have been through marriage breakdowns, Christian guys who've been through marriage breakdowns. And I've walked through that. In fact, one case, I was flown over to try and help their marriage. Okay, that's how desperate it got. All right. Both of these guys have known marriage breakdowns. But as I was able to reconnect with them, and for the one guy, he's remarried. She's a Christian. They both love God. They've got two kids. They're serving God together. It is beautiful to see what God has done in their life. And then another fella whose wife left him for another man. And um, he's now said to me, hey, I'm getting married in September. He really wanted me to go, and I couldn't go at the wedding. But he, but he showed me the way. She really loves God. This is what God has brought into my life after her horrendous marriage breakdown. And I want you to know, if you've come out of a marriage breakdown, God loves you and God knows you. And don't you ever believe that it's only the bad stuff that's ahead of you. Because God can bring beauty out of the most destructive and sometimes even ugly situations. So if you've been through marriage breakdown, ask God again to be the center of your life and your relationship. For those of you wanting to be married, and I won't ask you to put your hands up, but I want to say there'll be lots of you here in this room and you'll want to be married. Don't be suckered by the myth, you complete me. You know that whole kind of Hollywood kind of song, love something, that when you meet that person, they'll complete you. That's not true. You need to be complete in who you are and in your relationship with God now and then meet someone. My favorite quote on this, a guy called Andy Stanley in America, he said this, listen to this, are you the person, the person you're looking for is looking for? That's a great quote. Are you the person, the person you're looking for is looking for? In other words, don't focus on the other person, focus on yourself. Focus on getting your character right. Focus on those areas of stubbornness in your life. And then maybe you'll become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And finally, and this does cover us all, all of us want relationships that are healthy and honoring to God, don't we? We do. So I want to encourage, let's be stubborn about the right things. Let's learn to say, I was wrong. Maybe when you go into the office tomorrow, maybe it isn't always the boss that's wrong. Maybe sometimes it's you. Maybe you could look at how you could carry his or her burdens rather than expecting them to always carry yours. Imagine what the world would be like if we admitted we were wrong more often, learned to carry each other's burdens and put God at the center of all our relationships. Wouldn't that be amazing? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you this morning that you are an amazingly stubborn God because you stubbornly choose to keep on loving us. God, your love is a love that will not let us go. God, you love the whole world so much that you sent your only son that even though we turn our back on you, even though we fold our arms like Mr. and Mrs. Stubborn, even though we turn and go completely the other direction, you still keep loving us. That's amazing. Father, I want to pray this morning that we would have such open hearts and lives that we wouldn't be afraid to say we were wrong. We wouldn't be afraid to say, hey, Maybe I'm thinking wrongly about this situation. We would not be stubborn in a destructive or negative way. But God, we would be extremely stubborn about wanting the best out of our relationships. We would be extremely stubborn about loving each other and about carrying each other's burdens and about putting you at the center of all of, all of our relationships. And so, Father, would you come by your Spirit this morning. When your love is in our life, when we put you at the center, we have a cornerstone. We have a foundation that does not guarantee that we won't have storms, that we won't have difficult times, that there won't be breakups or breakdowns. But what it does mean is that we will have a foundation, we will have an anchor, we will have a cornerstone, and that's you. So Father, I want to pray right now. I want to pray for everyone who's married here this morning. Lord, I want to pray that, Lord, in this few minutes that we've had this morning, God, I want to pray that there will be at least one or two things that will have been helpful. And God, would we take a hold of those things this morning? And God, if there's any marriage that's in trouble right now, please, God, give us the courage to get help. Give us the courage to get help, I pray. And Father, for all of our relationships, maybe there are relationships in this room and we know that they're in storm right now and it's difficult. God, I pray that you would give us that sense that you're in the midst of those relationships. And if we make you center, you can give us that foundation, that anchor that can root us in the middle of that storm. So Lord, as we sing this incredible hymn that hundreds and thousands of people have sung over generations, God, I pray that we would lift our voices and we'd lift our hearts and we would not be stubborn about the wrong things, but we'd be stubborn about the right things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to stand together. And um, as we stand, we're going to sing our final song. And you know, it may be this morning that there are some issues that have been raised this morning through what we've shared. And you would really value someone praying with you this morning. Maybe there are other things that haven't been raised, but you need prayer this morning. Maybe there are physical needs that you have. We believe God intervenes and God heals and God restores. And through that room there, there are some people who would love to pray for you. So as we sing this song, you might want to head through there or at the end of the song, you might want to head through there and you can receive some prayer, okay? And if you need help with your marriage and you might think, what do I do? Contact us. We have something here at the church called the Care Network where we can connect people with you. And if, if you want that to be someone outside the church, we can signpost you and connect you to relevant people that can help you. All right, but don't just be stubborn about it. Let's unfold our arms, let's open up and let's receive what God has for us. Amen. We're going to sing this incredible hymn as we finish our time together.